this is JP, and welcome to Masters of Divinity. This is episode three, and we are recording from uh, Chuck's car. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Kids make things complicated. A little bit. Uh, not so much for me, because I don't have any, but... That you know of. <laughs> I did go to China, and... Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm here with uh, Chuck... Hey. How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing good. It's weird though, because like, I'm, now that we're three episodes in and I'm being, I'm seeing that I'm known as Father Chuck. And that's a weird thing to be. And I've been so used to being Father Charles, but I'm kind of coming to like it. Father Chuck? You like Father Chuck? I think it's like my podcast persona, maybe. I don't know if I want my parishioners calling me that. Episode three, we already have podcast personas. That's awesome. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) So I'm here with Father Chuck. Then I'm also here with Matt Wells. Hi. Here also. <laughs> Matt I don't have the, a persona. <laughs> Matt is in the back seat. Maybe that could be your persona. Backseat Matt. Backseat Matt. That's just like the <laughs> that's just like the name in high school you do not want. <laughs> Went over to Lover's Lane with Backseat Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's now leaving the podcast. It was nice knowing everybody. <laughs> oh, we have fun here. We do. <laughs> we like jokes. Okay, so um I'm just gonna jump right into this. Uh last week. The new Ghostbusters trailer debuted. The uh, remake, reboot, uh, whatever you're, you want to call it. Not really sure what it is at this point, um, but it is a Ghostbusters movie starring an all-female cast. And you guys both saw it, right? Yep. Uh, I did too. Let's see. Who did I start off with last time? I think it was Matt. I started, okay, so Chuck, what are your thoughts on this uh, very proven-to-be-controversial-now Ghostbusters trailer? I, I guess I have lots of thoughts. It's weird that I have lots of thoughts over a Ghostbusters trailer. I, it's weird to me, like, because, like, the movie's not even out. We know, like, very little about the movie itself, but we're talking about the trailer, and the trailer itself has already set up this whole, like, interesting deal. Like, the the whole bit about, one, the misogyny that has just sort of sprung up out of it. I mean, like, who knew that there were <laughs> hardcore Ghostbusters fans that just, like, hate the idea of, like, women being Ghostbusters. Who would have thought that Ghostbusters fans would be the worst? Right. <laughs> That's weird. It's Ghostbusters. It's, like, the most, like, innocuous film franchise. <laughs> it's just so... It's just so basic. But then, I think there's sort of a... There's also a degree of... Uh, I don't know if, if dark humor is the right way to go with it, but there's or an irony or whatever you want to call it, where... So, the the thing comes out, and those of us who are, like, who really do care about sort of changing the face of Hollywood gender and race wise and all that. I'm very excited that we've get this all female Ghostbusters. This just seems like a cool idea. But then it turns out that there is like racial tokenism and like racial stereotyping happening in it from what we can see in the trailer. And so there's an element of, or it's like, like we can't be too excited about it. We still have to be a little bit offended by it (laughs) or whatever. I, I don't know. Are you talking about Leslie Jones? Yeah. 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 Um, the fact that the, that the that the, the the black female character is like a sassy MTA worker, as portrayed in the trailer, and that you know she like slaps the devil out of out of someone, uh, and and doesn't she even say like, oh hell no? Nah? Uh, she does, and uh, she calls the devil a liar, and then slaps Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. I'm already feeling uncomfortable talking about this. I don't, Why? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, uh, you're not pro. I, I don't. Right? I don't know. Is it okay to be pro? Is it? I mean, because I I laughed. 
um, when she slapped Melissa McCarthy, I thought it was pretty funny when she, when she said that it was a liar. And, I mean, I did too. Always just be honest with it. I mean, we, I, we, we laughed. Does I, that, I, if it makes us big, if it makes us big, it's like, I, I, don't, know. I don't know. I mean, if, funny's if, funny. You know, she, she got her job on SNL, um, well, mainly because she's very funny, but also because Chris Rock uh, really vouched for her. So, I don't know. Chris Rock is kind of vouching for her brand of comedy. It should be, I mean, should give it some. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, what do you think? What do you think about the trailer? <laughs> I've got like nothing right at this moment. <laughs> do you just being honest? Do you remember the trailer? I had more to say about it the other night when I saw it than I can think of right at the moment. Well, what did you think about the cast? I thought it was good. Yeah. Um, I thought the trailer looked entertaining. I thought as far as like the, the Ghostbuster fans go, um, and they're complaining about women, I think it looks hilarious and and works and looks funny. And we haven't even seen the movie yet, but um but yeah, and I think I love Melissa McCarthy, even though I don't know why, because um, <laughs> it hasn't worked out every time. No, it hasn't. But you know, last I think it was last summer, you and I saw Spy. Yes, movie's funny and cracked up laughing and the entire time. Died laughing. It was, which was also directed by Paul Feig, who's directing the new Ghostbusters movie. Yes. And if she ever somehow heard this, um, Suki is my favorite. Love you, Suki. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that, that's that's the uh, the charmed character, right? The, no, the the Gilmore, Gilmore, Gilmore girls. girls charmed. Oh, wow, oh, wow. that's um, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> I got my WB properties. JP mixed. will edit that out so he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. But. Wow, <laughs> like, hey man, the only WB property I ever cared about was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, well, and Angel. Eyes. You liked Angel and, and Angel. Yeah, I like Angel. I like Angel a lot. Yeah, well that that counts as Buffy. and Charmed. I didn't like Charmed. I hated Charmed. Charmed Obviously. sucks. Uh, <laughs> that's um, weird that I got those mixed up. I've never done that before. Well, I I will. Can, can, I just want to do. I feel like one thing I want to add is um, I wasn't super keen on a Ghostbusters reboot remake. Anyway, I sort of feel like it's one of those movies. It's just perfect for its time and its place, and it just didn't need it. So when I saw the trailer and I was entertained by it. Mm-hmm. I was pleasantly surprised by that. I, I was too. I, I kind of feel the same way. Like I don't even, and this is controversial amongst my peers. I don't like Ghostbusters too. I think it actually fails as a sequel and it kind of proves that there shouldn't be sequels. And so I actually kind of welcome to remake more than a sequel. I don't know. I, I was kind of open-minded from the get-go because I like the cast. I like the director. And uh, I thought the designs were cool. Kate McKinnon, um, I don't know what it is about her. I haven't really heard much from her in the movie, but she, <laughs> I think she has a really cool character. She has like this, she has like this swagger. Uh, she kind of looks like Egon from the Ghostbusters cartoon, which that was a major part of my childhood. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think it, what, what's really weird that what's, what's not sticking out to me so much is, is, is the movie, but, um, just the, like you were talking about Chuck, you know, the backlash of the, of the fandom and, um, I, I wrestle with this a lot, and it seems like I, I kind of react more to reactions than I do to actual properties. And it yeah. kind of makes me think, um, do you think, like, do you guys think fandom could be toxic? I mean, we, we talk about the church, and I feel like there's, if you talk about Christians being sort of Jesus's fandom, yeah, it can get toxic sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, just these properties, I mean, like, I mean, we could get into the whole video game fandom oh, thing, which, <laughs> I, you know, I feel like it's sort of the same breed of what this is. Um, 
the, just the sort of the misogyny behind all of it. Probably but the it, same people. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I guess, like, I, I get it with video games. Because video games, their whole stock and trade is aggression and, you know, white male power fantasy is largely the, the thing we see in video games. Um, but with, like, Ghostbusters, like, I, I saw a description um, somewhere on the internet that, that described Ghostbusters is, is a story about guys trying to start a business together. It's about four friends trying to start a or Yeah, four friends. I mean, three initially, and then they bring a fourth guy in who becomes their friend. But, like, there's these four guys that are trying to start a business together. And that's, that's what the movie's about at its heart. And, and, like, it's just such a, like, bland concept and it turns to be such a funny and even a thrilling movie and in his time I mean, it was one of the first movies i remember seeing as a child and excited me and i was scared by slimer um <laughs> the ghost of john belushi the ghost of john belushi belushi but it, yeah like to then like see comments on 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 the internet of people saying things like how they're disrespectful to the mythology <laughs> like the mythology, like there's this all this talk around like the character like Winston and how like he became a scientist later. I like in what the comics? I mean, what comic books? And and uh, uh, this is all like who reads Ghostbusters comic books? It's like an expanded <laughs> universe kind of thing. I mean, it's I don't know. It's weird. It's just weird that there is like a sacrosanct like Ghostbusters fundamentalist, <laughs> Ghostbusters fundamentalist out there. Yeah. For a series of two movies, one that's good, one that's passable. Yeah, sure, if you want to call it that. I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on. Vigo the Carpathian yeah. is a great character in a bad movie, but... I like Janos. Janos? He's funny. Oh, it's Janos, not Milos. Yeah. Janos. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Sorry, I, I made a comment about him in a, in, a, in a thread the other day, and I called him Milos. <laughs> I was talking about how he really creeped me out dressed up like a granny when he was in granny drag and oh. kidnapped that baby. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. That was pretty creepy. So, I, oh my gosh, the eyes. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I am still here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I mean, what, what is your... I mean, you, you grew up with Ghostbusters too, right, Matt? Like, like every millennial, I'm sure. Yeah, I loved it. Um it kind of uh, bothers me more than anything that something that was such a big part of, like, the fun of my childhood is currently the center of so much hatred. <laughs> it's just, what a way to twist something so fun uh, and just uh, turn it into this, like, battleground of, of nonsense. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I was surprised by the response. I mean, I was with uh, Father Chuck over here about the... <laughs> The idea of a remake or a reboot, when I originally heard of it, was not something I was interested in. Because, I mean, it's Ghostbusters. Why would you mess with something that is pretty much perfect the way it is? But then I actually got excited. I mean, if you're not even going to talk about equality and stuff, I got excited about the idea of an all-female female cast for the simple fact that it automatically made it something new. Hmm. Um, something to be excited about. Rather than just a retread, right, yeah. Rather than let's try and rehash the Ghostbusters the way we saw it and destroy my childhood memories of that. Which is what actually. Ghostbusters 2 did. <laughs> anyway, continue. Uh, we, oh, <laughs> Um It actually brought it to new ground to begin with. Now, what they do with that ground, we'll find out when the movie comes out. And for a lot of anybody listening, let, let's find out when the movie comes out. What a um, concept. Yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, in the trailer, there's definitely there's things that you can comment on. There's there's uh, some stuff that looks like they mm, they probably got that wrong, but we won't know until it's back in context. It's kind of like uh, JP in a previous episode throwing me under the bus about Schindler not being a hero. <laughs> um, if you don't know context, um, it's it just surprises me to see so much backlash about something that first of all, came from such a fun place to begin with and then grew into a cultural phenomenon that was just a blast. Um, and now it's kind of this like seed for hatred <laughs> and yeah. just kind of astounds me. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think about how in other areas of this, like we could get into like the casting of, Michael B. Jordan as the Human Torch in the Fantastic Four movie that I know JP would prefer forgets about. Uh, I didn't see it. Oh, really? No, I didn't see it. Oh, wow! And for, the, for the new listeners here, uh, JP is a is I don't know if he's so much a fan of the Fantastic Four as much as he is a fan of Doctor Doom. You're correct. Okay, uh, and not so much just Doctor Doom, but the uh, Toy Fair version of Doctor Doom. Oh, yes, of course. That's going back. I don't think any of our listeners will know what we're talking no, about. If you right. know anything about Toy Fair, please reach out to us. <laughs> Um, through our various ways that you can that you can stalk us on Facebook or on Twitter, because we would love to interact with you, um, because you really that's like our brand of humor. At least JP and I. I, I Matt probably has no idea what we're talking about here. Oh, I, I I filled in Matt about the whole thing. Okay, so he, he he's up to speed. But 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 so okay, so getting back to fantasy, but like okay, so the the common rebuttal that you hear to like casting Michael B. Jordan or casting all women in a Ghostbusters movie is that, like, oh, here they go. They're forcing an agenda again. They're forcing some agenda on us. Um, first of all, I mean, like, who's us? I mean, that's a good question. Like, like the us. Um, forcing an agenda on me? Yeah. <laughs> but the other is, is, um, is it really that big of a deal? What, like, to me, that, that, whole, that whole issue points to something deeper that's going on. Part of it, I'm sure, is just the, the fact that you know, white straight males have enjoyed um, a certain degree of privilege. And we just use that loaded term. We've, we've, we've enjoyed privilege throughout our entire lives. And so like, I don't know, do we feel threatened by other people coming like sort of into that status or I, I don't know. I, I just feel like there's something else going on and I have a hard time really coming to terms with me because I know we can talk about all the usual suspects on that racism, sexism, privilege, all those, all those topics. Of course, you know, being that this is the Masters of Divinity, Matt and I are going to probably want to talk about sin in all of this. Mm-hmm. Am I right on that, Matt? Am I am I am I creating a subject for you? Are you forcing an agenda on me? <laughs> my, <laughs> my, my agenda, yes, my agenda is sin. Are you pushing your um, sinful agenda? Yes, Matt. I want to make you a sinner so that I can get you saved. Yeah. That's well, that's the whole. Well, you know, my my whole role in this is to poke and prod you guys as much as possible. As you rub and, your hands together with glee. <laughs> I, I really am doing that. Yes, literally. Uh huh. The subject of sin is great uh, because one thing that's kind of been on my mind a lot lately is uh, the sort of transference uh, from uh, of the nerd archetype. From the goofy, silly nerd that watches Doctor Who on PBS and quotes Monty Python to the very angry nerd yeah, um, that yells at people uh, from the comfort of their own home on Reddit and Twitter. Is there something you can tie that into? Is that uh, my, my, my poking correctly? I mean, I think you're poking something. I mean, you know, the internet is, is fantastic for anonymity. It allows us, it allows us to have some protection, right? We can... 
you know, we can, we can hack someone's email account and we can leak stuff from their private accounts and, and do all kinds of things to them without any kind of immediate reprisal, right? I mean, like, what the classic archetypal, you know, nerd is the one who, like, if he stands up to the jock, the jock beats him down. Yeah. But now, like, the archetypal nerd can... Ruin his have life. The, yeah, can ruin the jock's life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a... There's a, there's a shift going on, obviously, with this. And, I, 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 you know, part of me wants to say that it started to begin with Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris... Ah, Columbine. In Columbine High School, because right. they were definitely nerds and they were bullied, and it got very deadly. And I don't know if that sort of was the thing that opened the can for the rest of the nerd world. That's interesting. That it sort of opened us up to thinking, like, oh, yeah, I can just go get guns and take care of my problem. Yeah, this is kind of like um, sin, sort of the consequence of sin is more sin. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, getting more sin. Look at the story of uh, getting back to Adam and Eve, you know, as we talked in episode one. I mean, look at Adam and Eve. What's the first thing that happens? Eve eats the fruit, and then Adam, who's sitting right next to her, by the way, it's one of my favorite things in the story of the Bible that, we, that so many preachers overlook, especially the preachers who want to blame Eve for everything. Adam's right next to her, and Adam, immediately when God confronts him, Adam throws Eve under the bus. Then Eve throws a serpent under the bus. Everybody's like, you know, everybody's lying and everybody's... So, like, it creates this whole thing where sin leads to more sin, leads to more, you know, things. And, you know, so, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a snowball kind of effect. And I think that's also part of the whole, the idea of sort of eating a fruit called the, the, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil that, that sort of exposed Adam and Eve to evil for the first time. They're, they're, you know, they're open to the capacity not only for good, but also for evil. And maybe, you know, when we see the Dylan Klebold, Eric Harris story, if we see, if we look at that as sort of the, the beginning of a major watershed change in our society, that that's the moment where a certain capacity for evil within a certain demographic was really opened up. And people have sort of, you know, utilized that. But, you know, most people aren't going to go grab guns and shoot up their school. I mean, that's just, there's a mental illness factor there. But the impulse of having power and utilizing the tools that you are good at to exact your whatever, uh, you know, and and most most people are really good with computers these days. Were you going to say something about it? Oh, well, well, first, all the pastors that want to blame Eve for everything, I think, fit nicely with the the ones who have a problem with a female Ghostbusters. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Excellent so point. So that could definitely go back to, to gender equality. But, yeah, the the fact that you can be anonymous on the Internet, I think it it allows people to to show who they really are because they're comfortable. They feel safe doing it from the comfort of wherever they are sitting with their laptop or, um, and just typing away this, this anger, this hatred, um, attacking people, uh, bullying people through the internet, hacking into accounts. It, it has this safe feeling to it. I, I mean, like, I can't help but, but this is a really dumb example, but I can't help but think I used to work for this company and I had the opportunity to be their mascot when I was in high school at a big concert near us. So I put on this mascot outfit, I get to go to the concert, and I'm instantly like 
the fun guy goofing around playing. And if anybody knows me, I'm the most self-conscious person in front of groups of people. It was amazing how putting on a mask instantly freed you up to act how you wanted. And the internet is nothing if not a fantastic mask for so many people that allows them to act how they want. And there's people who use that to promote learning, to promote ideas that are helpful and encourage and move society forward, uh, that generate equality. And then there's those who sit in their dark room and use it to attack and to tear apart. And it really shows, I think the internet, another thing that it's incredible for is showing the, the power of words, um, how we can tear so much apart, tear so much down and hurt so many people without even physically interacting with them in any way. So it's all through words um, and ideas being spread and shared and it just snowballs and you see this this anger and this hatred growing from all that and they to enough to where a ghostbusters trailer can can send the world into a into a spiral yeah i mean listening to you talk about the mascot story i think of a really great essay that chuck polinick the author of fight club and, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, his nonfiction is some really great stuff um, where he explores some philosophy. But anyway, he he and a friend, he wrote this story about he, one time he and a friend, they donned mascot costumes and they just ran all over Portland, Oregon. And like they, they, they tried to go shopping at the mall. They had security following him. They, but they had like random people kicking them in the ribs, punching them, hitting them. But then they had people terrified of them. They also people thought it was really fun, like parents like wanting to have pictures with them. And, and the exploration was what it was like to sort of be just a void that people could throw whatever they wanted to on them is, is what it wound up being. So, you know, is, you know, we, we got to experience what it was like to walk into a room and everyone looks at you. So it's like the way that a lot of white people do the way a lot of white people are with like a, some kind of minority that they're mm-hmm. suddenly staring at them because they're different. They got to experience that, but then there were the, the violence and everything that came with that. And, 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 and just a whole range of those things just from putting on that mascot costume and I and I think like listening to you talk, Matt, like it's got this. The internet provides, yeah, it's it's, it's this mask, and it provides this this amazing capacity for good in the world. But it also dehumanizes. Um, you know, JP, you mentioned that the the video game crowd are probably the same people as the Ghostbusters crowd, um, the, the anti Ghostbusters crowd, or whatever. That this is the, some of the same kind of arguments going on. You, you think about if you you know. You look at the person on a computer, not as a human being, but as your, as a bad guy in a video game. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a dehumanizing, dehumanizing. Wow, I had a hard time with that word. There's some dehumanizing that goes on when you don't have like a a person's face in front of you. I mean, I, I you know, uh, Louis C.K. talks about this in a great interview with um, I think Conan O'Brien, where he says that you know he doesn't allow his kids to have a phone and have access to the internet right now because you know. If you call and you insult someone to their face, you can kind of you can kind of see how that makes them sad and that makes you feel bad. But if you if you have a phone and you do that and you don't see that, well then you just don't cultivate empathy. There's no empathy mm-hmm. um, in that world, and and so I think like there's just that disassociation with the fact that this is another human being. Like I know I'll own my own stuff. I will I will say and do just like horrific things. 
at the people in the cars around me when I'm driving in traffic <laughs> because I don't think of them as people driving cars. I just see them as obstacles on my, you know, on my route to wherever, you know, yeah, to go be at church, you know, you know, so I'll own, I'll own my, my, my sinfulness here. It's Lent right now. I can own that right now. And so I think there's that dehumanizing that happens with a lot of us. And I think like that, um, that that's a big part of it too, that we just don't, we don't, we don't cultivate enough empathy and it's important. And that's why like a, a female ghostbuster is important because it gets people different than you in front of you and you get to see experiences and, and, and that's an important thing for, for change. And I, and I don't know why we're so averse to that. Hmm. I guess like for, for me thinking is what's the, I, I'm curious about these deeper issues that yes, nerds yeah. don't like change, but this to me, like I'm seeing like this, these connections with what we talked about in the first part, the first episode mm-hmm. with this like d- lack of desire of growing up, this refusal to grow up. It's just immaturity around all of it. I mean, it's a, it's ghostbusters. <laughs> and like you said, Kate McKinnon looks like Egon from the animated series. So they're clearly like drawing on childhood elements of this franchise. And we hold on to it. Like it's like, it's the Holy grail. Mm-hmm. Or you think that it's some real mature idea. Um, you treat it as though it's some, like, like your, your Holy grail. You're, you're unable to accept the fact that this is a, an immature, if you will, concept uh, for entertainment purpose that may actually have the opportunity to um, serve a better idea by changing some things up and placing it out there. But you get so hung up on your original and treat it as though it's like some precious piece of gold that you have to lock away and hide from people. Like, instead of just having your own maturity enough to accept this as a, you know, Ghostbusters was a incredible movie that was part of my childhood that I loved and enjoyed. And it's also a goofy comedy. Like if I can't let that go, I see it as what, like it's, it's some kind of like its own Bible. (laughs) Like you can't, don't mess with Ghostbusters. If you start changing it, then the world will end. Um, Cats and dogs living together. (laughs) Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. So, Matt, I I mean, mean, we we, we could probably spend, I mean, we spent 30 minutes just complaining. (laughs) Um, I'm curious, what do you think the church's role is in this, Matt? What do you think us Christians can do for the nerds? Like, where's the redemption? You like driving the podcast, Chuck? You like doing that? What? <laughs> Driving the podcast? I'm sorry. Did I, I did that, didn't I? No, no, no. I, I, hey, I, hey, tonight he is literally in the driver's seat. Don't mess with him. This is true. Coming at you from the, uh, what, the no, southern studio. Um, so, Matt, uh, what do you think uh, the church's role is? And um, what do you think? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, no, I think that the church and stuff. Uh, it's not separate. We, we like to think of the church as being separate from culture. Um, like we're set aside from it. We're locked away in our own little, our little holy huddle away from the world. Um, but we're so tied into it. And to the point where this is the same problems we have in the church. I mean, I joke that the, the ones complaining about the Ghostbusters having a female cast are the same as the pastors that blame Eve for everything instead of accepting the fact that Adam was sitting right there with her or that Adam is the one that God directly told, don't do this. Um, and he just takes part in it anyway, but we pass his responsibility off. We want to say it was her fault. 
it's all the same issue. It's this blindness to how we how we have an inequality taking place. Um, you've got the smirk on your face, and it's really distracting. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> I, I'm really like, what is going on? What did I say? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. <laughs> so, what I think of there's a my the dean of my seminary, Ian Markham, brilliant man. He very when I had my systematics class with him. He said that every preacher has this sort of this perverse desire to preach a sermon that offends that offends okay. yeah so that you know people walk out that you know that the idea that the truth is so blunt and so direct that that yeah people have to you know I like the Tony Campolo illustration where Tony Campolo uses the word shit in a sermon as a way to get people to have a visceral reaction, you know, that we, that, 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 and, and he makes this comment that people are more offended by that, the use of that word in the sermon than by whatever gospel thing. I think he's talking about the fact that people, that children die of starvation and everything. That's the usual line that he uses. So that idea, but that idea that like people walk out. Yeah. And, and, and definitely like, um, I think that's a struggle that anybody who's considering preaching um, deals with. It, it's who you're trying to make walk out would be where everybody differs. But yeah, we all have this idea that that someday I'll get up and say something that'll make that person see it. You know, and yeah. they'll, they'll get angry and they'll storm out of the room. Um, and it really is. It's like this. Uh, this it's that desire to. It's like a, it's like a glorified desire to one up somebody. Like, yeah. Like, see, I'm, I'm better than you. So Markham's point that he makes after that, though, is he says what what really, but that's the wrong approach, oh, yeah. because the right approach is, you know, as Christians we want we want we want repentance and and redemption. We don't want that if the person walks out, they walk out. They don't change. They don't get to hear the truth. Right. You know, the idea is that we speak the truth in such a way that the transformation happens rather than, you know you know, sort of my, you know, take it or leave it approach to things. And so I, I, so like, I guess where I'm thinking about this is I know that I love, there's a part of me that loves watching the nerds get angry. Like every time I see like a casting decision, I know it's going to make some nerd angry. Like I just, I just so look forward to that. (laughs) But but they, but it just keeps cycling. Like nobody changes, and really, we should be wanting it to. We should want to see change. We should want to see people that are excited about it. I would think. Yeah, yeah. And well, and first, let me let me just say, we all identify as nerds. So <laughs> if, saying, if you have not figured that out, yet. we keep saying the nerds. We we are nerds too. Um, but but yeah, I talked about that all the time with the um, the stuff going on on the internet. I mean, poor. I know we're always referring to our conversations outside, but poor JP's heard me say more times than I can even remember how it annoys me that, that discussions around things like this and around things like, um, politics. And I mean, for heaven's sake, you post a picture of your kids somewhere and somebody's going to tear you apart for why is your child there? Why are you doing that? Why aren't you doing Oh, and, Facebook. And yes. I've complained so often about this endless cycle of attack where everybody's just attacking each other. 
it's like, at, at what point do you just put an end to it and somebody stand up and say, I'm not going to keep doing this, even if that means um, just keeping my mouth shut and letting the other person have the last word because I'm not going to fight it. And I, and I said that the church is, you know, I said we like to think of ourselves as outside of culture, but that these are all the same issues we deal with because we're so tied into it. And, and I always hear, you know, we want to be set apart from culture. And that's true. Um, that's the idea of what holy means. We think that holy, we mix it up and use it in today's language that the word holy is like being righteous. But there's very different. Holy is just set apart. It's standing out for God. It's identifying as his. Um, holy is, there's nothing else that compares to it. So God being holy is because nothing else is on God's level. He's set aside from everything. But, um, but the way I believe we're supposed to be set apart from culture is because we should be so, so active inside of it because of that desire to change, to, to connect, to, to open people's eyes to how things could be, how things should be. It's not pulling away and hiding somewhere and saying, see, we're better than you. But it's diving right in and standing out because we're in the midst of all the the nonsense going on, but we're that that voice that's speaking speaking a new word into it. That's that's speaking life into a an otherwise empty and an endless void of attack and darkness and and we have the chance to step in and say, No, there's a better way of life here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we should be set apart by culture, not physically remove ourselves from it and hide, but be be different inside of it, to be active in discussions that matter. Things like um, equality between men and women. The church should be active in conversations like that. We shouldn't be pulling away from it, hiding, hiding on some hilltop saying we're, we're different. We should be in it saying there's a better way this is intended to be. God's got a, God's got a better plan for all of us, and here's what it is and how it should be. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I, I really, I think it does. Um, I'm the challenge for me. I know because I, I try to be. I know I'm, I'm going to be. If my, any of my parishioners are listening, they're going to learn that Father Charles spends an inordinate amount of time on the internet when he probably should be like, I don't know, solving problems, um, <laughs> you know, f- fixing the world. Um, but no, is. You know, I, 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 I spent a lot of time, particularly on the on, on like the birth movies death um comment section. I like I enjoy being there. Um plug. Uh, yeah, plug. Um I like talking on there. I like um engaging with folks there um because I feel like I do some real gospel work there. Um and if anyone of that group ever listens to this, it's not I don't have an ulterior motive. I enjoy chatting with you all. But I um but I find that when you deal with like the nerd, like the, the 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 mythical nerd we're talking, or whatever this 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 you know not us nerd that we're talking about, <laughs> Steve Urkel, sure. No, I'm talking about the angry the angry nerd, the angry the Kevin the, Smith nerds. Yeah, the the agro nerd. I don't know what you want to call them, but they're like it's exhausting trying to speak light and truth into them. And I know there comes a point where you just have to kind of throw your hands up and walk away. But I feel like that happens the first conversation. And I guess that's the hard part for me in this world is like we can talk about all of this stuff and we can even you know try to get to the heart of what's the real 
issue? Like, what's the real thing that they're at? You know, because they're not really mad at women Ghostbusters. They're mad at something else. And we can, we can get at that. But then how do we get them not only to acknowledge that, but then to repent of that and to say, hey, the world's actually really happy out here. Like, we, you know, we're having a good time. You know, an all female Ghostbusters is, it doesn't matter to us if if we you know and if and if we don't enjoy it, we just don't go see it, and we we have a happy life. My you know our happiness is not contingent on what happens in these in this media. You know, well, and I think it, it comes back to I said there's this endless cycle of attacking each other, and at what point does somebody say it's going to stop here? And I can't help, and I know to relate comment sections on. Um, on internet sites to Christ's walk toward the cross seems a far stretch, but if, if I mean, the whole point to, to Christ being here is to show us how to interact with the world that we're in. And I think it's a it's an example like when they're attacking Christ and they're spitting in his face and it just says that he remains silent. That sometimes the most grace we can speak into a situation is to just be the one who remains silent the one who doesn't continue the cycle of escalation Mm. um, because you're not going to reach that person, especially not in the midst of that. Like they allowing them to just do that to you and being the one who's willing to absorb it may be the thing that they actually stop and think because what they feed off of is the attacking back. Yeah. And it's what we all want to do. It's, it's, I want, it's going back to, I want to be the pastor who preaches a sermon that makes that guy get up and leave someday because he realizes how, well, I'm doing the same thing they are at that point. Like I'm just attacking, trying to escalate the situations so that I can come out on top. And I think we, we interact with these situations and sometimes we speak into them and sometimes we speak and stand up for the ones that they're attacking and then sometimes we should just have a collective decision to remain silent and let the rant die, um, take away their power by not continuing the escalation. Yeah, I think as you listening to that, the idea of burying it, I think of Gandhi, who, by his own admittance, was really influenced by Jesus in the way that he handled his approach to nonviolence, which was he. I, I, you know, I think of the story of the workers, the mine workers in South Africa, the Indian immigrant mine workers who um, had demanded, I guess, collective bargaining rights or something. Anyway, the, the British wouldn't let them work as punishment for them. And so Gandhi instructed them that they all needed to line up and one by one try to enter the mine. And every one of them got beat by the police, like a hundred or more people got beat up by the police for that. But Gandhi said, you know, you will not raise a fist to these people because suffering the violence that they are willing to enact on you, what this does is when you don't fight back, it exposes the barbarism that they have. And that was the whole approach that he had when he went back to India. And he, you know, they, for the most part, liberated India from, their, from, the, from, 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 the, from the empire without war. I mean, there wasn't, you know, without, you know, much bloodshed. And that's, I mean, it's a remarkable thing to see, but that's what he did. I mean, he, he managed to sort of expose the shameful actions of the British Empire. To this day, the, the British carry a lot of guilt around um, the way they treated the Indians. And, and so, I, 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 so I think that's, there's some wisdom there, Matt. I think there's a lot of wisdom there that sometimes we speak the truth and then we bear the brunt of it. And, you know, maybe these 
nerds kind of get to a point where they realize this is my life now. I'm angry about an all-female Ghostbusters movie to the point that I'm, like, causing pain and suffering over it. Maybe my priorities ought to be different. I mean, there's hope for that, I guess. Um, well, you know, that, and where you were going, Chuck, was actually kind of where my mind uh, was sort of uh, ready to pounce on, um, was uh, priorities. And to, to, to be so ragey and upset over things like video games... Uh, movies, comic books, you know, th- there is sort of like a, like a fun, healthy rage that I think the three of us kind of share. Uh, me, probably not so much. Sometimes I get headaches. Sometimes I get so angry. Yeah, that's probably not good. Uh, but no, no. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it, it's kind of like a, like a first worldy thing. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And, and I definitely think looking back on my life, um, I remember being in college and, you know, being really only focused on film. Film was my life. Uh, that was, had a very narrow path. And then, you know, I started to get more involved with the university, doing some volunteer work and then doing some overseas mission stuff to China and all these other places. It just all kind of stopped mattering. And the first time it, the first time it really hit me that, that, that the stuff didn't make me as, as ragey anymore was, and this is such a great memory that I love it, the day I got back from China, all three of us saw Revenge of the Sith. Episode three. Episode three, Revenge of the Sith. And um, I remember... Inception moment. Wow. <laughs> Your little button. <laughs> Episode three. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> wow. Oh, gosh. Oh, just got it. Okay. And we're back. Um, I just remember being in the movie theater with you guys, seeing Star Wars, and um, I fell asleep. I fell asleep in a yep. Star Wars movie. Yep. For anyone that I know that's listening and for these guys, that is a triumphant moment for me. <laughs> like that was a huge moment for me that, that I, that it, it was kind of like a, a weird kind of baptism in a way, <laughs> you know, and granted I was exhausted from traveling for two days, but at the same time, like I was super soaked about being, about not only seeing a movie, but also, um, you know, it's a prequel, let's be real. I was stoked about hating a movie, which I did, but it didn't matter anymore because I had found something else out there that was impacting my life that I could be passionate about. And, uh, the anger kind of went away. I, I was no longer the angry nerd anymore. So I think maybe the answer is, uh, gamers should sleep more. I don't know. Stop staying up so late. Yeah, I mean, we could go into probably, you know, another hour just talking about, like, what we put into ourselves media-wise. But, I mean, even then, that's not a guaranteed thing. Right. But it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an empathy. You can, you, you see and connect with people outside of your normal sphere of life and influence, and that can change you, and that can put things into perspective. Yeah. It's amazing how much, like, just... Being selfless uh, can just chill you out. Yeah. And completely change who you are. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, and I mean, it it goes with your toxic fandom thing you started with. And I think uh, Chuck kind of alluded to the idea of we have toxic fandom within the the Christian world, within the church. Yeah, Um, we got to own our stuff. but, (laughs) But it's... 
I think it's anything that you allow to become, here's a kind of a graven image, if you will, and it removes your view of humanity and kills that empathy that, that you keep referring to. Um, so like if I take a movie and I place it as something um, like the Holy Grail concept and I start to protect this one franchise, this one movie, I become a fan of this one idea, this one concept to the point where I place it above everything else and everyone else, it causes a disconnect with the rest of humanity. And I think that, I mean, this ties back in with the, um, I think that's part of the problem we, we spoke about in the, the last podcast about religion and spirituality and why a lot of people move toward that idea of being spiritual but not religious because religion to them has been portrayed as something that gets placed on a pedestal to a point where it disconnects from humanity, whereas proper religion is a way to interact with humanity. It's a, it's community, it's fellowship. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if it gets expressed as a disconnect, if it breaks unity, then I think it, it causes this anger and anything that we allow to, to be placed above the importance of union and communion and community um, only serves to disconnect further. Well, that's what fandom's supposed to be. It's supposed right, to be people coming together over shared interests that are, you know, bizarre, unique interests or whatever. But that's I mean, fandom. Yeah, fandom, in a way, is it is very. Um, a fandom is a, a mirror toward a religious type of lifestyle. I mean, right. You think of a football team, and if you're a fan of a particular team, you. You wear their emblems. You know their their chants. You know their mantras. You know mm-hmm. their motions. You know you can recognize a fellow fan simply by sight or by a word that they'll use. I mean, it's 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 its own expression of um, like a religious practice. Yeah, I mean, the point I was trying to say is it's supposed to bring us together, but so just like just like anything we see, even in the church we can take it to a level where it breaks us down and we get to a place where it's like, you know, where we can convince ourselves as individuals that we're the only ones who truly love this thing. Right. Everyone else loves it wrongly. And if only they could see it our way. Yeah. Then it, that, that's when it starts to get dangerous. I think. So what you're saying is, uh, if if I'm understanding you correctly is, uh, Calvinists are the angry nerds of Christianity. You know I'm what? Not getting involved in this. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll do it. Back. I'll say it. I'll say it. In, in, based on my experience, yep, yep. I've met a lot of angry Calvinists. Uh, just chill out, Calvinists. That's all we're saying. I mean, cool. the idea to hide behind the anonymity <laughs> of the podcast. The idea, the idea that like your whole identity is I'm special, chosen uniquely from the beginning of creation by God. That's going to create a certain type of entitlement. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, we, we, we way past time. And you heard it here at masters of divinity from others. Not <laughs> from me. <laughs> Father Chuck Father, from Father Chuck. Father Chuck. Uh, definitely not backseat Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take the backseat on that one. I'm just going to stay out of it. Sure. All right. So, uh, well, thank you guys so much for your uh, insight on these multiple 
subjects. Hey, there's a tow truck in front of us now. And that's time to go. <laughs> does that mean we have to leave now? I think it does. That's awesome. Oh. We'll post a picture. Somebody oh. take a picture. That's now. pretty we'll funny. That okay. Us, so. We should probably get out of here. Anyway, uh, I'm JP. I'm Father Chuck. And Matt. Thank you so much for listening to Masters of Divinity. Bye. Peace out.